when Kathy was reading um, Revelation 4, um, I think one of the things that stood out to me was, um, I was trying to find something, I can't do it. What's that final phrase? For you created all things. And by your will, they were created and had their being. You created all things. And by your will, they had their being. Now, all things, um, I guess, means what? The earth and the mountains and the animals. Does all things mean that God created you? Does all things, that, that phrase, and by his will, you have your being? As I was studying um, this week, um, one of the things I read or heard um, was a, a comment, a, a story about a, an airplane pilot who was talking to a, a Catholic father, and, and the father asked the pilot, do you pray? And, and the man said, oh, yeah, I am definitely a man of prayer. And, and the Catholic father said, well, I've never seen you in church. And the pilot says, no, no, I, when I'm in the air, I pray. Continuously. But when I'm on the ground, I can cope. Okay. Um, I think a lot of times that really defines us. We figure out ways to cope. Until for some reason the rug gets taken out from underneath us. One of the ways that I think we've figured out to cope is at a certain level we've done a really good job of believing science and all those things that we were taught way back when in sex education about how babies are formed and what happens when you have sex because then you have a baby and it just kind of happens. But what does it mean when I put that up against Revelation that says that by your will I have been created? And I expected to get up this morning. I don't know about you, but when I went to bed, I totally expected to get up this morning. When I turned over and heard that there's a bunch of people who don't have power, I was very thankful that my power went off, didn't go off because that would have really hampered things this morning, okay? But I have expectations about what's going to happen today. What does it mean to say that by your will, I have my being? That I am created, as Psalm 139 says, 
fearfully and wonderfully. That God knit me together purposefully in my mother's womb. That he planned out all the days of my life. What does that mean? What does that mean when I go to the doctor today? What does that mean if I'm in a car accident today? What does that mean? Daniel 1, or Daniel chapter 9, verse 1 begins. In the year of Darius, son of Xerxes, whatever, I need by descent. I tell you a story, um, fast. So you, you guys know that I can't hear, right? Everybody knows I can't hear. Everybody knows, you know, you know Betty Naylor came up to me in the patio. You can pray Betty Naylor's um, granddaughter has scarlet fever and has lost her hearing, okay? So you might pray for, for her right now. Um, you know, and Betty comes up to me and said, it was, did you lose your hearing because of scarlet fever? And I said, that's one theory. There's actually two theories, but I had scarlet fever when I was three years old. And when you have scarlet fever, one of the things that often happens is you lose your hearing, okay? So I lost my hearing. Um, so what that meant, and, and what my hearing loss does, is I have absolutely no ability to do phonetics whatsoever. Okay, I can't sound out words because I can't hear phonetics. Type does that? Okay. So everything's kind of been. Oh, I kind of hear this, and I kind of make sense of this. So when I start reading all these things, you know, it just doesn't phonetically. But I did a funeral real recently, and I just crucified the name of the person. And and the family just looked at me and said, "Just read it." And I kind of went, that's my point. I can't. <laughs> I can't hear you, and I can't read it. <laughs> you know, kind of, to the, so I can't read the stuff. So anyway, um, this is probably Cyrus, okay? Um, there's a sense that this is probably, now, let's go back to Daniel, you know, whatever that, you know, when Belteshazzar is, you know, drinking and to God, and, um, you know, he's pulled out all the gold goblets, and he's, you know, in a sense, toasting everything and in a sense completely mocking God and you got the handwriting on the wall and God ba- and they call in Daniel and Daniel says you know basically you've been found wanting and that night the kingdom collapses and it's almost a sense that this is the next morning the kingdom's just collapsed there's a new ruler in town everything's changed overnight You're Daniel. You're part of the royal court. Excuse me. Everything's changed overnight. What's going to happen? Now, when everything changes, I remember, um, I can still remember when the planes hit the World Trade Tower. Okay, what did we do? I mean, if you were like me, I was glued to the TV set. Right? Everything's changed overnight. What is Daniel's response? Daniel's response is immediately to go to God in prayer. Now, that's a habit of his, but now he's going to go over 
and above. Because Daniel realizes that God and only God is the Lord of history. Daniel realizes that if today is today and it came about, it's because God, by his will, still has a purpose. And so Daniel, in the midst of having the rug torn out from underneath him, doesn't try and cope, but he goes to God to seek God's will to seek what God's doing, to find out how God wants him to respond. In the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, understood from the scriptures, according to the word of the Lord given to Jeremiah the prophet, that the desolation of Jerusalem would last 70 years. We could spend all day on that verse, okay, and and other verses. Um, First off, major point, Um, I don't know about you, but I struggle with prayer, okay? Um, Wesley used to spend three hours a day praying. I don't come close to three hours a day. Luther You know, famous quote of Luther, I have so much to do today, I have to spend an extra hour in prayer this morning. I have so much to do today, I get up an hour extra early and hit the ground running. Luther understood that it is all by the will of God. And he started in prayer, and he started in seeking the face of God. But in starting in prayer and in starting in seeking the face of God... That also means opening up the scriptures and reading the scriptures. Not for head knowledge, but in order to get an understanding of what God's doing. In order to get an understanding of why things are happening. What we should be doing when we open up the scriptures and read is that it should lead us to prayer. And prayer should lead us back to the scripture. And it's kind of the way we kind of have this communication with God, this talking back and forth, read scripture, pray, listen, read scripture, pray, listen. And that's what Daniel does. He's searching the scriptures. God, what are you doing? And as he's searching the scripture, yes, he's reading Jeremiah, but he's also reading Deuteronomy. And he's reading Leviticus. And he's reading Solomon's prayer when he dedicated the temple in Kings. And part of what he's reading in those verses, if you go back to the Deuteronomy and the Leviticus passage, especially, but even the the Kings passage, as you read those verses, what you discover is that God basically made a treaty with his people. He brought them out of Egypt. And they're at the Mount of Zion, and he brings them this law now, and he begins to say, here's the deal, guys. If you will seek me, if you will worship me, if you will not worship any other God, if you will keep these commandments, then this is what I will do. I will bless you. I will protect you. I will have all the nations of the 
earth come and seek you out. You will win all the wars. You will be at peace. You will prosper. That's what it says. It's a treaty. I have everything. I'll make everything right with you if you keep my law. And you know what happened? David, man after God's own heart. You know, he sought God. He followed hard after God. He sought to honor God and to lift up God. And Israel grew. And under Solomon, the temple was built. And people flocked to Jerusalem. But then something weird happened. They started coping on their own. They started making their own decisions about how to worship and who to worship. And Solomon had multiple wives with multiple gods. And the people started taking all of their prosperity and thinking it was theirs to enjoy rather than theirs to share. And the prophets started coming and saying, you're not listening to God. And see what happened in that, that treaty that God made back here in Deuteronomy. He said, if you seek me and if you be, obey me, then this is what I'll do. But if you don't, then this is what's going to happen. And you're going to have nations come in and they're going to take you into exile. And life is not going to go well. See, that was back in Deuteronomy. Fast forward. The prophets kept going. You're not listening to God. You're not obeying him. Your attitude is one that says you know better than God. You're not listening when he talks to you. You're doing the very things he told you not to do. And the people said, we don't want to listen. And now here's Daniel. And the people end up in exile. And now here's Daniel. And he's reading and he's going, this is why we're in exile. And he's gaining understanding. This is why God has withdrawn back his hand. Because we haven't kept this treaty. See? And Jeremiah basically told the people, because you didn't listen, this is what's going to happen. And you're going to go into exile. But Jeremiah was really gracious. He said, but listen. God's doing this not to wipe you off the face of the earth. God is doing this to bring you back to him. And after 70 years, you're going to seek my face. And I will respond and I will listen and I will bring you back from exile. And Daniel's reading this. Because he's trying to figure out what's going on in the middle of all of this turbulence that's going on around him. And he's going, wait a minute. How long have I been here? And there's 70 years. And wait a minute. And he puts on sackcloth and ashes. And he turns his face to God. And he begins to petition God and confess before God. God, your word says that if we don't listen, 
we're going to be in trouble. We didn't listen. Help. You're just in doing what you've done to us. You warned us. You're just following through with what you said. We have no reason to blame you for our predicament. You laid it out before us. Let me ask you, when was the last time you agreed with God that he was right? Especially when something that wasn't nice happened. Okay. God, you were right. We don't have a leg to stand on. But God, I also read in this, this 70-year bit, Lord, is it possible that if we seek you, as Jeremiah said, that you would restore us and let us go back to Jerusalem? Lord, not for our sakes. For Lord, we don't deserve anything. But Lord, for the sake of your name, Because other people are looking at us and going, well, where's their God? See how far their God. They worship that God. See where it gets you into exile. We've become a byword to the nations. Lord, not for our sakes. We don't deserve anything. And it's it's fascinating because here's Daniel. There's nothing in all of scripture that's negative about Daniel. Okay? But here's Daniel Understanding that he is part of this people who don't see God. And he's identifying with the people around him. His people. You know, Jesus left heaven. And he so identified with us. That he took on our sin onto himself and onto that cross. There's nothing sinful about Jesus at all, except for the fact he took all of my garbage on himself. And that's what Daniel's doing. And in a sense, that's what we're called to do. Rather than pointing fingers at people, rather than telling people how bad they are, what we're called to do is identify with them and put ourselves in their shoes and pray as if we're them, Lord, forgive me, for I have not listened to you. I've turned a deaf ear. My attitude is one that I can cope, that I know better than you. My attitude is to question rather than obey. And Daniel goes, Lord, we don't deserve anything. But Lord, for the sake of your name, because Lord, you are a righteous God and a merciful God and a loving God and a covenant-keeping God, when he, that word hesed, you know, is, is, has to do with the mercy of God and the covenant love of God. He goes, because this covenant you made back in, in Deuteronomy and in Kings, it basically, Deuteronomy, it basically said, if we obey you, you'll do this. If we disobey you, you're going to do this. But if we seek you, you'll do this. Because you are man, a God of his word, then we seek you. And we ask for your mercy and your grace because you said that that is the type of God you are. Lord, will you now return us 
to Jerusalem. See? That was his prayer. I'm going to digress just for a minute. Just kind of hold that thought for a minute. It, it does say, and he opened up the scriptures. I want to make one comment there. The actual word there is he opened up the books. Okay? Now, Jeremiah is going to be seen eventually as scripture. But at this point in time, it's, in a sense, what he has are the prophetic writings of Jeremiah. There's nothing in his mind that says this is the word of God. I mean, it is because it came from Jeremiah, but not at the same point that when we open up the Bible and we say, this is the Bible, you know, okay. For, for the scriptures for Daniel would have been the book of the law, the first five books of Moses, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Those were his scriptures. The rest of it, were the sayings that the prophets had heard from God that Jeremiah is listening to, but it's not been put into one book of 39 books. I mean, the Old Testament's not been formed yet. That doesn't happen until they come back from exile and Ezra collects all of these prophetic writings and all of the writings of history and puts them into one kind of what we call a canon, and said these are what we're going to go to to figure out what God's doing. Okay, So the word there is really books. But because it's the writing of Jeremiah, and because he sees Jeremiah as a prophet of God, he's listening to the writings of Jeremiah, and he's saying, God, this is what you say here. Is now the time you're going to restore us? And so we... So I turned to God and pleaded with him in prayer and petition and fasting and in sackcloth and ashes. Um, he, he basically is going to God in repentance. He's going to God in a sense of sorrow and grief and a sense of shame and tears. When was the last time you cried for the sin of another person in repentance before God? Okay. I've not done it very often. And as I even say that, probably about the only time I can even come close was more than 30 years ago. But that's how Daniel is going before God. He is intentionally marking off a time pour out his heart and sit before God and cry before God. And I prayed to the Lord and confessed. Um, actually, there, there's, there's a couple things. That, um, basically, one of my books said, you know, he, he basically takes God seriously. He takes sin seriously. And he takes God's mercy seriously. He takes God seriously. I can't cope. It's about you. You're the one who's Lord over history. Um, one of the things um, that I, I wrote down and I found on a slip of paper a couple weeks ago. Uh, 
I'm a historian, so maybe that's why I just pay attention to some of these types of things sometimes. But, um, you know, World War II, um, after Pearl Harbor, um, everything changed about how we did life in America. Okay? I mean, women went to work. Because <laughs> the men went to war and the women went to work. Okay? We started rationing. You couldn't just do what you wanted to do. You had to have a ration card, you know, to either buy food or to buy gas. Life changed because we were at war. In a sense, we're at war. We're still at war. We're at war with the evil forces that battle against the ways of God. And the question gets to be, do we just do life as normal or have we are we in battle mode? See, Daniel's going to God. He's taking God seriously. He's in battle mode. And I pray to the Lord and I confess, Lord, the great and awesome God. And the Lord there is Yahweh. It's the only time it's the covenant-keeping God. It's the only time his name is mentioned in the book of Daniel. The great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of love, his hesed, with those who love him and keep his commands. God, you are powerful. You are trustworthy. Daniel's prayer begins in worship. It begins in recognizing who God is. And our prayers need to begin there. It needs to begin with God and it needs to end with God. He looks at God and then he looks at himself. But Lord, we've sinned. We've been wicked. We've rebelled. We've turned away. We've not listened. Our actions, our attitudes, our ears have not been turned in your direction. But Lord, you're righteous. But this day we're covered with shame. I actually spend most of my life trying to present myself as being pretty together. I don't know about you. Okay. I kind of push back with that issue of shame. And yet, if I fully came to terms with my sin and the shame that that sin results in. I would go to God with a completely different posture. See? With hands that would be wide open. Not battling, not arguing. But just calling for grace. Answered prayer begins with recognizing who God is and who I am before God. And only then going back to God and falling upon his mercy and righteousness. Lord, you are merciful and forgiving even though we've rebelled, even though we've turned away. Therefore, the curses and sworn judgments written in the law of Moses the servant of God had been poured out upon us and we've sinned against you. 
You've fulfilled your words. Lord, I'm not battling with you. I'm not arguing with you. I get it. You didn't hesitate to bring disaster. And now, Lord, you're the one who brought us out of Egypt. Who made yourself a name that endures to this day. Lord, in keeping with your righteous acts, turn away from your anger and your wrath. Our sins and iniquities of our ancestors. Let's see. And for your sake, Lord, look with favor upon us. You have a sense of admiration, worship of God, a sense of confession, a sense of thanksgiving for God's past acts by remembering who God is and what he has done in the past gives us the courage then to turn around and say, God, now this is my prayer. Lord, this is what you did in the past. This is what you promised. You're a covenant-keeping, a promise-keeping God. Now, God, take us back. Give ear, Lord, and hear, and open your eyes and see the desolation of the city that bears your name. We do not make requests of you because we are righteous, but because of your great mercy. Lord, listen, forgive, act for your sake, not for ours. I think one of the other reasons why my prayers are so deficient is because all too often I pray them for my sake. But Daniel has come to the point of realizing in the midst of his shame and his sin and his iniquity that it's not for his sake, it's for God's sake. What do I live for? My sake? Or for God's sake? Go back to that Revelation passage. You created me. By your will I have an existence. For my sake? No. He created me. It's his will. Do I respond to him for his sake, for his glory. A couple of years ago, um, about actually last year, I think sometime, um, we went through, or maybe it, was, it has been a couple of years, maybe, um, the 200 year of the Reformation. And there were all these videos that came out about the Reformation and um, good old Martin Luther's, you know, breaking away from the church and everything. There's something called the, the kind of the tenets of the Reformation. Okay, there's basically five of them you know, kind of faith alone, Christ alone, grace alone. You've heard those before, okay? Um, I normally can only remember four of them. There's, sola is alone, so it's always scriptural solo, you know, Christo solo. I mean, you know, it's a German, okay? But it's scripture alone, faith alone, Christ alone, grace alone. But there's a fifth one. Do you know what the fifth one is? I constantly forget it. I mean, I remember, oh, faith is 
It's just faith. Faith in Jesus. That's it. I get that. That's easy. It's just scripture. You know, I got to run everything through scripture. I get that. It's just grace. I can't do it on myself. Only Christ can do it. It's Christ alone. I get those. The fifth one, I forget. Over and over and over and over again. The fifth one is to the glory of God alone. See, Do I live to the glory of God alone? Do I pray for the glory of God alone? See, Lord, I don't ask this for us. I ask this for your name's sake. I don't know if you've noticed recently, but Christians aren't held in very high regard these days. God's name is being mocked. And our call is to respond like Daniel with sackcloth and ashes and in solidarity with the very people who are mocking God's name and the very people who have caused God's name to be mocked and say, Lord, I have sinned. We have sinned. We have nothing to stand on. But Lord, you are a covenant-keeping God. You are in charge of all of history. You have a plan. You are working things according to your ends and intentions to the restoration of all things. Lord, forgive us. And for your name's sake, restore us. Daniel prays. And while I was still speaking and praying and confessing my sin and the sins of my people, Israel, and making my request to the Lord God and his ho- for his holy hill, He wasn't praying for himself. He's praying for Jerusalem and for God's plan. Gabriel, the man I had seen earlier back in 8, came to me at the time of the evening sacrifice. I love that one. We're kind of going back into sacrifice. It kind of points me to Jesus a little bit, but that's okay. And he instructed me, Daniel, I have come to give you insight and understanding. See, that was Daniel's prayer. Lord, what are you doing? How do you want me to respond? How do you want me to live? How can I glorify your name? As soon as you began to pray, a word went out, and I've come to tell you, for you are highly esteemed. Therefore, consider the words and understand the vision. Seventy-sevens are decreed for your people and your holy city to finish transgression, to put an end to sin, to atone for wickedness, to bring everlasting righteousness, to seal up visions and prophecy, and to anoint the most holy. Daniel, you're talking about 70. Daniel, let me tell you, it's not 70. Daniel, it's actually 70 sevens. Okay? Now, here gets to be really fun. Okay? You can go read commentaries, and we can talk about all this, and we'll be talking about all this over the next couple weeks and and do this a little bit more. And I can do 70 sevens and type up and kind of basically do some math and depending upon what year you start whether or not it was with Nehemiah building the 
or Ezra building the temple or Joshua built, I mean, Joshua building the high priest, Joshua during the time of Nehemiah building the temple or Zerubbabel, the priest or the walls of Jerusalem, depending upon when you want to kind of begin to date things, you can actually multiply 70 times 70 and get to 40, 490 and actually come to the birth of Christ. Okay. Um, but here goes, I do not believe that we're to be taking all of these numbers literally. Okay? Now, I think it's awesome that we can come up with some of this. And I can do some mathematics, which are really cool. Okay? But I kind of have to fudge here and there. and you make, I can make it work, though, which is awesome. But really, prophecy has multiple fulfillments. There's other ways to do these numbers and end up with the time of the Maccabees and the desolation of the temple during the time of the Maccabees, okay? Because I can do those numbers that way too. But here's what I really think the angel is saying to Daniel. It's not about 70, Daniel. It's not about you guys just going back to Jerusalem. It's about 70 sets of 70. It's about exile after exile after exile where people fall away from me and come back to me and fall away and come back and my word continues to go out further and further and further until that time when the final end of history comes. Because I'm not working to restore Jerusalem. I'm not working to restore the temple. Daniel, what I'm working to restore, I'm working to finish the transgressions. I'm working to put an end to all of people's wickedness. It's not about going back to Jerusalem. It's about getting rid of all of the wickedness in the world. It's about putting an end to sin, to rebellion against Almighty God. It's about atoning for wickedness. Part of Daniel's prayer is a prayer of confession. And, and the answer to that prayer of confession is not just that they're going back and rebuilding the temple and having the temple of sacrifice restored. That confession, that forgiveness only comes on what Jesus does on a cross. He's the one who atones for wickedness. So it's not just about you going back to Jerusalem. It's about my Messiah coming and dying on a cross that everyone's wickedness would be atoned for. It's about bringing everlasting righteousness. See, God's plan for every single one of us is that we would no longer sin, but that we would have the fruits of the Spirit, that we would be like Jesus himself and live lives of love and joy and peace and self-control. And those other ones that God hasn't worked on me yet on. Um, and to seal up the visions and the prophecy. And the seal there is not to kind of put a seal on it and put it on a shelf until it happens. What that really is to authenticate and fulfill everything that has been said from the beginnings of Scripture on about what's going to take place to make all of that finally come to pass and to anoint the most holy. And that word place there can be either translated as place or one. It can either be a person or place. 
And so that Daniel can read that and see that being Jerusalem. But actually, I think what it really is pointing to is to anoint the Messiah for Jesus to be king. Daniel, you're going back. But I am working on such a larger scale. And so you go through the rest of chapter 9, which we'll kind of look at next week and we'll spend more time on all this, but where he basically says, you're going to go back and you're going to rebuild Jerusalem, but it, it's going to be during a time of hardship, which is exactly what's going to happen. They're going to go back and they're going to build the walls in Jerusalem and they're going to build the temple in Jerusalem. They're going to look at the temple and they're going to go, it doesn't look anything like Solomon's and people are going to be defeated. And he's going, it's because that's not the end. It's not about Jerusalem. It's about what I'm doing in the whole world to bring an end to wickedness and an end to transgression. We're part of those 70 70s. See, God is still working And in a sense, we're all called to go before him like Daniel in prayer and confession and seeking his face and seeking the glory of his name that his temple, Jesus' church, would be built. I am do watch the news a lot, and I am a historian. You know, and and sometimes you kind of read the news and you think, when have things ever been this bad? When has there ever been this much sin, this many people who disregarded God? One of the um, books that I read referred to a time a couple hundred years ago time in England a couple hundred years ago. A time when only five or six members of parliament went to church. Kind of like Congress today, right? When the plague and smallpox and countless diseases that we all call minor today had no cures. A time when Disease was rampant. Sickness was rampant and there was no cure. Clothing was expensive. So many of the city's poor wore rags that were like the bedding full of lice. Like their bedding full of lice. The penalties for crime seem barbaric today. Hanging for petty thievery. Young boys and sometimes girls were bound over to a master for seven years of training. They worked six days a week, every day, from dawn to dusk and often beyond. If you were unlucky and starving, you might fall foul of the law and be packed off to the trench of the Newgate prison, debtor's prisons. From there, you might have the chance to go to the New World in a boat loaded with prisoners of all sorts. Drunkenness was rampant, and gin was fed to babies too to keep them quiet with blindness and often death as a result. Did you think crack babies were a new thing? The people's love of tormenting animals at bull baitings was equaled only by their delight in public execution. That was the time right before the Great Awakening. 
right before men like John Wesley and George Whitfield began to seek God and pray and confess. And God heard their prayers for the honor of his name. There have been periods of 70s. We are in a period of 70s. Will we seek God's face with the totality of our being? Will we live to his glory alone? Will we see that he alone is over all of history and is working all things and has called us to partner with him beginning in prayer and confession? Or will we be like the people before the exile and turn a deaf ear to God? Or even the people who when Cyrus says, sure, go back to Jerusalem, basically say, you know what, we kind of found Babylon's okay, we're going to stay here. God has called us to partner with him in the work that he is doing to atone for all things, to put an end to wickedness, to lift up the most holy. How will we live? Let me pray. Lord, we confess that we often just cope. And we seek to cope. And we even turn to you to cope. Forgive us. May we trust you and your mercy and your grace and your provision and the fact that you are Lord over all of history and over all governments and over all situations and over everything that occurs in our lives. And may we live to the glory and honor of your name. For it is in your name that we pray. Amen. Have a good morning.